Hey everybody, welcome to We've Got Ward, a doof media podcast series where we expertly dissect and discuss Ward while those return to the world of parahumans. My name is Matt Freeman, and get in losers, we're going shopping! My name is Scott Daly, and this is the weekly podcast where Matt and I eagerly dive into Wildbo's world of bad moms, bigoted food courts, and alien-based death powers as we analyze and interpret this ongoing web serial. This week, we're covering the new arc, Polarize, chapters 10.1 and 10.2. After taking a few days to recover, Victoria is ready to start putting things back together. First up, she and Sveta meet with her mom and dad, which goes exactly as you would expect. And then a chrysalis breakthrough meets at the mall to do some shopping and some talking. Like any start to a new arc, these chapters are doing a lot of legwork to set up the stories that are to come, the conflicts, the events, the the focus um, that is to come within the next eight to 20 chapters, depending on how long Wildbo makes this one. Matt, what did you think of these two chapters? Well, as you said, it's been a lifetime since we started an arc. Um, so I'm, I'm having to remember what it's like to do this part of the arc where we're we're positioning things. We're not quite sure what the focus of the arc is going to be yet. There's there's no there's no cape fighting. It's it's all character stuff. It's all people touching base, communicating, um, setting up, and introducing what the uh, underlying conflicts are going to be and what the underlying themes are going to be. And this arc does a great job of it. I like the the shift in in tone. Um, I like the shopping trip. A lot. I, I like all of the conversations. There, there's this is a chapter that these are two chapters that are full of dialogue, um, great dialogue. Um, that that is, I think, moving the plot ball forward and moving some of our character arcs forward. Um, so it's it's all really fun and exciting. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Um, I think to me, I think we're seeing us move into like refocusing. Um, the story like the, the, the this big event happened i think the the goddess arc and the things that led up to the goddess arc and the kind of the whirlwind that was going on with victoria for probably three arcs now has kind of come to a close um all the big conflicts are gone now like we get reports that the the wardens and everyone that's been overseas is coming back um things are in like a temporary lull a temporary calm and so the story is shifting to what's next what's going to happen now and that's a lot of what these two chapters focus on and i think that's probably going to be what a large you know majority of this arc ends up focusing on but it feels like we're in like a new section of the book as well yeah yeah um so so yeah let's get on into uh first some announcements and so the only announcement is that the halloween contest ends tomorrow as of the day of this release so it ends on november 1st 2018 is the year we got some over the weekend um because i think some there were some halloween parties over the weekend and we got some people sent in some stuff they did over the weekend um very exciting great costumes uh hoping to see some more come in before the end of the the deadline but yeah it's coming up i hope i hope this works out for us this was something we just kind of tried on a whim and uh I hope I hope you guys are as excited about it as we are. It'll be a success if we've if we've convinced a single person to wear a pair of humans costume. That's true. That's true. All right. So now for the community spotlight where we read what people wrote in last week's thread and the discussion question to frame the discussion was, is it coherent to offer second chances if there are some things that are unforgivable? Can there be such a thing as unforgivable? So, Matt. 
sometimes with our questions, we um, we write them in such a way that we're kind of leading people to the thing that we want to talk about, you know, uh-huh. um, and I kind of think that's what we do with this question, because you and I were talking about this before we sat down to record last week. We we're talking about this concept of calling something unforgivable and, and what that means and we were kind of leading down in my mind i was leading down people of the answer of well what is and isn't unforgivable is really up to the person who was wronged not everyone else around them and and i was very happy to see that a lot of people echoed that sentiment so i think sometimes people see these questions and are like like no that's you can't say that and i was like no no your answer was exactly what i was going for we were just phrasing it in a way to make you go there which maybe isn't fair i don't know i think that's a smart way to lead a discussion? I'm not yeah. sure. Well, I, and I think there was a wide variety of, of answers here. I, yeah. I was like, so like, I, I, I thought of the question and I was like, I have some firm thoughts on this, mm-hmm. but I want to see, I want to, I want to stimulate a dis- discussion on this. And like, I don't even, like everyone's feedback was so good and comprehensive and nuanced that I'm just like, I have not, like, a- after we, after we discuss all these answers, I'm going to have nothing to add. I'm just going to be like, yep, that's, Everyone's everyone covered all of the complexity of the issue, and and um, many people introduced nuance that I hadn't even thought of, honestly. So that's awesome. It's, yeah, it's exactly what you were going for then too. Exactly. Good job, everyone. A plus for all of you. Yes. This is why I could never be a teacher because I'd just be throwing A's everywhere. Because <laughs> who who wants to not get an A? Nobody yeah. wants that. Nobody. And also. Like a million of you answered these, so we're going to yeah. go through them pretty quickly. We're going to go pretty fast. So Bisexual Punch Party uh, says that forgiveness is up to the wronged party, so it's subjective whether it's deserved. Being forgiven by someone else is a separate thing from giving yourself a second chance. Being forgiven can be helpful in letting you start your second chance, and forgiving yourself is critical to making use of a second chance. There's there's the one I saw where I said, yes, that's the answer I would have given. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. agree. Um, I, I hadn't even thought about that aspect of forgiving yourself as being something that um, couldn't be overlooked. Yeah, I, I think it's it's a really important part of the process. And and it seems like, you know, I, I think a lot of times you, you say, you know, you've got to forgive yourself as well. And and people make it seem like that's like, no, it's the person that's wrong that has to forgive you. And you don't like that. The forgiving yourself is out of your hands. And it's like, well, no, I think it's part of it. Like you got to recognize that you're a human being that messes up sometimes and just the fact that you're seeking to get to a place of of self-forgiveness i think is acknowledgement that you recognize the severity of the thing that you've done yeah i think i'll have more to say about that when we get to some of these points on repentance all right but, uh, uh, yeah. next up we have sarah penguin who uh their post considers valkyrie bonesaw and nobog three people who did absolutely terrible things and each of them got a second chance she compares them with the fallen who uh, claim that they didn't get a second chance. The fallen that says, you guys judged us before we did anything wrong. The difference, Sarah Penguin says, is that the three monsters were actually remorseful and wanted a chance to be different. And uh, the fallen didn't seem to want that. And that's, I think that's, that's a, that's a fair argument. Um, we, mm-hmm. we, we do have these three people who absolutely, like unquestionably did monstrous, monstrous, terrible things, um, but are, but are actively working towards, um, making up for it in, in their own way. Right. I think that's something that other people will point out using maybe slightly different words yeah. is this idea that, um, it's very, it's, it's extra difficult to forgive someone if they're not remorseful. Um, yeah. Yeah. Not that you're, yeah. Not, not that not it's impossible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, Zizivan <laughs> says, 
uh, they discuss the distinction between forgiveness, which is offered by the victim, repentance, which is offered by the offender, and reconciliation, which is the state of a renewed or repaired relationship. In the story, Carol thinks that Victoria should offer forgiveness to Amy, even though Amy hasn't convincingly offered repentance. And if even if Victoria were to do this, it wouldn't result in an authentic reconciliation because there wouldn't be there wouldn't be that um, repentance, and, and there wouldn't be a meeting in the middle. Um, then they go on to say, though, that Victoria can still be in favor of Amy getting a second chance on a societal level for pragmatic reasons, even though she doesn't forgive her. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, kind of what Victoria had done up until the events of Last Ark. Um, she personally was not interested in offering her forgiveness, but she was not like actively seeking that she be thrown in prison or anything. Um, I think I think to Victoria, whatever societal second chance that Amy had was squandered the second she declared herself queen of an entire planet. Yeah, I, I think that's accurate. I think that in, in Victoria's mind, she was already... I think I think it's fair to say she was ambivalent about the whole idea of second chances, um, bordering on wanting them but feeling weird about it. Yeah. And, after, and with with Amy's situation, she's like, "This is what happens." Yeah. I told you. Yep. Um, <laughs> everything. Kinda... Everything I said has come to pass. Yeah. 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 All right. Exe JPEG Windows Media Viewer says some people can't forgive some things, particularly if it hurts them bad enough that they the perpetrator is unrepentant and coercing forgiveness like Carol is doing will ultimately cause more damage. You can tell our uh, answers uh, had a, a particular bone to pick with with a certain mom. <laughs> um, I wonder how many of these answers were written after the uh, the first chapter of this arc. Yeah. Yeah, there's um there's a few answers th- that take this tack of 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 like being very um, empirical, I'll say about about unforgivable. Like, because I had a certain stance on whether something could be unforgivable, and, and a lot of people were like, "Look, if if someone can't forgive something, if they just like can't bring themselves to forgive it, then like from a scientific third party observer point of view, wouldn't you call that unforgivable?" Yeah. Um, and I'm like, "Hmm, interesting. I, I, that's not how I use the word, but but um." Uh, and I don't know if that's how the word should be used either, but it's an interesting perspective. Yeah, I I think sometimes we use the word as more of like a, a like a flavor adjective to describe the level of something someone did was bad. Like if we're trying to, to get across how bad someone did something, we'll say, oh, they did this unforgivable act. And like people are saying, that forgiveness is is very personal and very based on the person that was wronged. So I think I think words mean things and we we kind of over that. I think that's what led to this whole conversation between you and I is that this idea that um, we we label things unforgivable when the only person that can really label something truly unforgivable is the person who had the thing done to them. Yeah. Yeah. There's this old story. I don't remember which one it is. It's one of those old, old timey short stories or novels or something. I'm sure someone will tell me what it is where the basis is like um, this, this like wayward brother comes back into the town and, and, and he did all these bad things, but everyone wants to forgive him because they like him. Um, And the, uh, but, but the priest doesn't want to forgive him immediately. He wants him to like have to be, have to repent and, and, and go through the normal process of absolution. Everyone's like, don't be a stick in the mud. And then they find out that he's like the other brother who actually they don't like, even though he did the same level of bad things roughly. Oh, boy. And, 
and they hate him and they want to kill him. And the priest is perfectly consistent and wants him to repent and go through the process of absolution. And he's like, you people basically, you, you were willing to forgive the first brother because in your eyes, you didn't see there as being anything to forgive. If, if, if there's something to forgive, that means it's actually hard yeah. to forgive. Yeah. Anyway, I think that's an interesting framing of it. Yeah. So I, I think to to get back to EXE JPEG, Windows Media Viewer's actual answer, um, I think he's absolutely right. that, the, And the answer to the question is, can some things be unforgivable? The quick and, and dirty answer to that is, yeah, if the person that was wronged can't forgive the act, then it's an unforgivable act, right? Um, I suppose. Yeah. I, I, and I'm not... <laughs> I'm just not entirely comfortable with that usage because it's it's like, well, I mean, what does can't forgive mean, actually? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it means you haven't yet. Right. right? right. It, it, for any time T, <laughs> you, you might forgive them later. Oh, Matt, the scientist. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, yeah, it's like I, I unforgivable is like a is like a permanent statement about the nature of what was done. Right. Right. So I, I don't think you can make that. I don't think you can do that. P- p- people change. The, the person who did the, the crime changes, the person who would be the, the, the forgiver could have a personal change and then it could become a forgivable act suddenly. So it's like, well, then it wasn't unforgivable. Anyway, we'll yeah, move on. let's move on. All right. Z-Z-Y-T-H-Y-Z says that they don't they don't think forgiveness should involve acting like the perpetrator never did the things they did. So Riley gets a second chance, for example, but she's still kept in some form of custody because it would be foolish and naive to just let her run free. Likewise, it's foolish to let Amy off the hook completely, even if Victoria can forgive her on an emotional level. I like that. Um, I, I like this. There's actually what, what's interesting is there are later answers that pretty much contradict this. And I like both sides of the argument. And I haven't really decided which one I prefer. <laughs> That's really cool. Uh, next up, we have literally is, you wrote Ms. Mark. Ms. I think it's, it's Bismarck. Bismarck. It's Bismarck. I'm correcting it in the script. There, we go. <laughs> there is a big difference between society forgiving someone and the victim doing so. Literally, Bismarck says perpetrators are in a sense forgiven by society after they've served their sentence, even while the victim may not have forgiven them at all. So I think I think that's that's again fair. And that's a good answer to the is something unforgivable. Um, the, the thing that I find fascinating about this is and you and I were kind of talking about this last week. Um around like some of our our past relationships and how like that me personally like if someone has personally wronged me um in a past relationship like it broke my heart or what have you um i feel like i need to forgive them for my own sense of like healthiness and well-being but mm-hmm. like as a friend of the person who's been wronged I don't feel the same sense of, of requirement and duty to forgive because I'm like, no, I hate that person. Screw that. This is fuck them. Like, you know, yeah. and I think that's that's forgiveness seems to be so much of um, the framing of the situation, who it's coming from and who it's going to, that kind of thing. And also, I, I can completely see forgiving someone and still never wanting to have anything to do with them again. Right. Right. Which may which may be a bit uh, paradoxical because I'm like, well, then you're not basically what you're implying is that you expect them to behave poorly in the future. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I, I do actually, I don't, I don't think they've changed. I just am, am taking that burden off of both them and myself right, so that right. I can move on. I mean, that gets back to what forgiveness is, which is a question and a conversation we've always had already had here. Yeah. And we'll probably have again and again and again. Um, just because it's, I, I don't think there's a simple, you know, absolute answer to what that, what it means. I think just like, 
can you forgive is personal to the person who was wronged. What that forgiveness looks like is incredibly personal to the person who was wronged. Yeah, exactly. FIP Industries offers an interesting perspective that all things become forgivable after everybody involved has died and a few generations pass because even the people, uh, even if people still know of the deeds of, say, Attila the Hun, nobody really feels injured by those deeds anymore. Yeah, that's a perspective I hadn't really considered, but that is very true that um, the universe forgives all things eventually. Yeah, and, and I feel like this is one of those things where the language is just the limitation because we clearly mean something different by saying like no nobody actually forgave Attila the Hun right it's just that nobody cares anymore right it's just our propensity <laughs> our propensity to feel wronged by Attila the Hun's actions decays over time yes exactly all right elves 11 uh brings up the fact that Taylor let Sophia out of prison not on the basis of forg- forgiveness but on the basis of her own personal growth. Sophia got a second chance because Taylor wasn't afraid of her anymore, not because Taylor even expected her to behave better. That's a really good point. And um I I like that as like as an example of forgiveness for my sake not for yours, right? Like mm-hmm. like to me that would be Taylor forgiving Sophia in a way that like like you were just saying, like, I know you're bad. Um, I know you're going to keep doing bad things, but I can't keep this in my heart anymore. It's it's too destructive and painful for me. So I am going to, you know, release this burden on on the two of us um, and, and yeah. let you free physically and metaphorically. Yeah. And like and also pragmatically, like you're, you're more used to us out of jail than in jail. And so I'm not going to let my prejudice um, interfere with that, which, right. which is a, a way of like setting down the burden, yeah. like you said. Yeah. Slice of pie says that forgiveness is more about the capacity of the wrong person to forgive than it is about the act that was committed. Uh, we've seen a lot of characters in Parahumans who have the hardest time forgiving themselves, actually. Yeah. Um, I think we're going to see another one th- today. Yeah. Yeah. Once again, I like this idea of. Um, it being perhaps even harder to forgive yourself than it is to forgive other people because when you forgive other people, there's no voice saying, I don't deserve it. Right, right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you're your own worst critic, right? And right. In, in everything you do, yeah. Placid Platypus says, it's not really a second chance if there's not an actual avenue for things to work out better this time. And also, acts themselves aren't intrinsically unforgivable. It always depends on the context and who the judger is. Yeah. Yeah. So that first part is what I was indicating when I said that there was a so so the, the previous the previous poster said um, you, it's foolish and foolhardy to just act like the bad thing never happened and just give the person carte blanche, carte blanche. But this person is saying, you know, it's not really a second chance unless you actually give them like the potential to 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 have an actual second chance. And it's like, OK, well. There is a tension between those two. I, th- I think there's a compromise between them where you set it up so that Riley doesn't just have freedom to roam the streets, but also she has a support structure and, and enough freedom that she doesn't feel chafed um, and so forth. I, I, li- I like that there's kind of two sides to it. Yeah, yeah, I like that because I, the idea that like you're sitting on on um, like you're sitting in the chair about to be executed for a crime and like the person that you wronged walks up to you and says, I forgive you as they throw the switch. It's like, well, did you, (laughs) did you? Yeah. 
Because, right. yeah, I like that. That's interesting. Yeah. What was that worth exactly? Right. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Muns for College says that intellectualizing forgiveness isn't very useful because it's a personal choice made not to fulfill some ethical prerogative, but to come to a sense of closure and peace. Whether or not something is forgivable depends on whether the wrong party is emotionally able to forgive. Um, so, so the latter part of that is, is reiterating that idea that unforgivability is on the basis of like the empirical question of whether the person can bring themselves to, to make that, um, that emotional, you know, movement, um, too, too, too bad. If you think intellectualizing forgiveness isn't very useful because that's all I'm capable of doing is intellectualizing things. Um, (laughs) sorry. Um, but, um, and also like, and, and I, so, and this is my opinion, of course, but like, I feel like you do have an ethical prerogative to forgive people if if you feel like the reason you're mad at them is not actually like ethically sound. Do you understand? Like, I mean, I mean, like you can be you can be really mad at someone who didn't actually do anything wrong, right? Yeah, like ethically. Yeah. Like just because they hurt you, all that all that means is that you feel hurt. <laughs> Doesn't that like? It's entirely possible that you're just being stupid, and in which case, it is ethically incumbent on you to forgive them. That's a good. And, uh, that's true. Which is a, which is a way of growing, a way a way of a way of being an adult. Basically, I I don't know. Perhaps I'm projecting onto the situation. Yeah, I mean the. I'm trying to think of a situation in in these books that would fall under that kind of. Uh, scenario and I'm having trouble finding them because like the 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 wrong that was committed is pretty clear and and devastating in these stories but I mean there are like like not to go back to relationships and breakups again but it's like you broke my heart and dumped yeah. me um and now I can't forgive you for that it's like well I mean did that person do like they just didn't want to be in the relationship anymore and they they told you so <laughs> Yeah, and that's not and like that's like and yeah. not ethically like a a bad choice. Exactly, relationships are a thing that most people have experience with, and 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 is probably people's largest experience with um with um like people with being mad at people and, and not being able to forgive them, and 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 it's an example of being like eventually you just grow out of it. Usually, right? Ten years later, it's right. really hard to 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 be mad about yeah. that anymore because yeah. you're because you're like yeah it didn't I mean it doesn't matter yeah who cares yeah I mean in fact it's probably better for me I, I would say that I did feel uh, a, a responsibility to reach a place of forgiveness in my personal situation um but again that's something that's incredibly personal to each and every mm-hmm. person so yeah I mean I don't want to, to blanketly declare yes you have an ethical responsibility to offer forgiveness um anytime someone's wronged you but no I, there definitely are situations in which I think you probably do not any time, I don't think. But um, yeah, well, any time we're talking about every time, yeah, then we're we're right. painting with too yeah. broad a brush. Yeah, yeah. All right. Although, th- yeah. Go ahead. Sorry, we've got so many of these. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Next up is Kausubalu version two. Did they have to make a new a new account, they, or were they, they always version did. two? Maybe they were always version two. I can't keep track. Um, is it really a second chance if it comes with terms and conditions? If they aren't given access to the support systems that would keep them out of villainy, did they really get a second chance? Did Riley get a second chance? And yeah, that is, I think that actually, uh, you know, goes hand in hand with what we were just saying. Like there, there's a middle ground between 
letting Riley roam the streets and just throwing her in jail. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, it it's not a I don't want to be too pat with that answer because it's like, w- well, doesn't that kind of depend on whether Riley seems to be thriving or not? Like if you, you know, if, if you look at her situation and, and she's doing just as poorly as if she were in jail, then then no, I don't think she did get a second chance. But we don't really know. We don't really know how she's doing. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Googleplex Byte thinks uh, that things are unforgivable when forgiveness doesn't work. For example, forgiving Amy wouldn't help anyone because she doesn't understand what she did wrong. Uh, I like this a lot because it's, again, this is one of those nuances I hadn't thought of where it's not just it's not just that point of can you forgive the person? It's like, okay, let, let's say Victoria does forgive her. It doesn't help because amy just does the same stupid shit again right right like um yeah i mean that's i think that's very true that that forgiving amy would not help amy until amy recognizes the the depth of the wrongness that she did but i do i do think that i do think that forgiving amy would help victoria regardless of amy's awareness or in awareness of it but mm-hmm. i mean again that's my personal opinion i'm i was i'm a raised catholic person so i'm like forgive everyone always forgiveness forgiveness yeah. everywhere no it doesn't matter how bad it is that's the type of person i am so i recognize that that is not something people share but so i look up i look at forgiveness as um a, a thing for your benefit more than the benefit of the person you're forgiving not that it doesn't yeah. have benefit for the person that you're forgiving it absolutely does we've seen it in this book we've seen that the, the book stance on this is that it absolutely can have wonderful benefits um rain being forgiven really did help him in that moment um but it can be helpful for yourself as well right it seems like there's two it seems like it would almost be beneficial if we had two different words one of them for like therapeutic forgiveness and one of them for like practical forgiveness yeah and you know i bet there are different words it's just we our the yeah. english vocabulary has shrunk so much we just don't use all these words it's like they all mean the same thing right there's no yeah. subtlety in our words anymore yeah somebody yeah. brought up the word oh actually it's the next answer that they brought up this word um so this next answer kind of reflects uh what we were just talking about so cool it's a good segue all right the next answer is from to Serwat, who wrote an lengthy lengthy essay with citations i think they were the one of the ones that did this before right i think excellent. so excellent i love these yeah. uh, but they do give a too long didn't read that says it depends on the person in a little bit more detail forgiveness entails forbearing from allowing the offense to continue to affect one's emotions and attitudes toward the transgressor second chances have more to do with practical allowances rather than attitudes they also bring up an important factor that i don't think anybody else has framed this way necessity can you get away with not forgiving a person or do you need to in order to move on with practical matters and also remorse can lead to repentance which can lead to forgiveness but forgiveness can also invoke remorse which leads to repentance i like that i like that a lot actually yeah um the I, I'm just going to go ahead and mention uh, um, in the course of discussing that answer that a later poster specifically brings up the example of necessity of like if Byron hadn't found a way to forgive Tristan. It, sorry, it was hero of old iron yeah. said if, if Byron hadn't found a way to forgive Tristan, then it would have just made both of their lives harder. It would have made Byron's yeah. life harder and Tristan's. It, it might have even made their lives impossible. So on the one hand, it's like big of him to have done that on the other hand he kind of needed to to survive and and i don't think there's anything i don't think that diminishes the forgiveness no that's that's what i was about to say i don't think it does at all i think 
forgiveness out of necessity does not make it easy forgiveness, right? It, it's still it's still really hard to forgive people that have done bad stuff to you, regardless of whether you feel like you have to or not. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I do. I do agree that there is absolutely a, a necessity based forgiveness that, mm-hmm. that can occur. And, and the Tristan Byron situation is a perfect example of that, because you can't you can't like. Victoria can at least like walk away from Amy, right? Like mm-hmm. I don't forgive you. I'm leaving. Go get away from me. Go to your planet. Go. Yeah. Um, the, the, the brothers don't have that option. They just yeah. don't. Yeah, exactly. All right. And finally, lastly, I think we went on for half an hour, Matt, so much for <laughs> our, so much for a normal length episode. Um, Lemony two says people are a resilient species and can probably eventually forgive anything. Ultimately, I think Ward will have Victoria decide that what Amy did was truly unforgivable and then push past that and decide to forgive her anyway. Oh, I like that. That's a perfect yeah. way to end this. Yeah, yeah, it is. I, th- I, I think it both I think it both values the the horribleness of what she did to her as well as come to a place of real, you know, recovery and growth. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's really great. All right, let's get on into it. Yeah, let's talk about the those chapters we were supposed to talk about. Yeah. All right, 10.1. And this arc opens on a literal endorphin high. Victoria has been exercising. She's hanging out with Sveta. They're going shopping later on. The opening line of the arc is, though, it's hard to know where to draw the line sometimes, Sveta confessed. Yeah, I, I love I love the opening of this thing after uh, what we were saying earlier, after two to three arcs in a row of near constant action, near constant bad shit happening to our, our main characters. Victoria has taken the time to recuperate like this is this is her day three, her consolidation phase They they, they had, you know, they got better physically. They kind of just rested. And now um, now it's time to move into the harder stuff. She's she's clean. She's stronger. She's out of costume and she's ready to take on the world again. And by world, I, of course, mean Carol. Um, yeah. And I love how that's set up right away here in this line. No equipment, but with the buzzed, clean feeling and endorphins, I had all of the emotional armor and preparation I can pull together for seeing family. It's like, oh, like I love it. We established here right at the very beginning. This is what this chapter is going to be about. She's 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 like girding herself for another family conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that line, that that opening line. It's hard to know where to draw the line sometimes, Sveta confessed. Uh, I, I don't want to read too much into this chapter and this arc based off just this one thing, but I think it's pretty clear from at least these two chapters that, that Sveta's time in the spotlight, the ward spotlight, is either coming or here. Um, a lot of these, t- both these chapters focus on her um, and, and how she's doing and, and the difficulties she's, the personal difficulties she's having. I mean, this whole shopping thing was something that Victoria promised her ages ago. So, so it's happening now. Um, and, and I think this, this question that were posed, the first line of the arc could perhaps be central to Sveta's struggle throughout uh, whatever, wherever her story is going to take her. That I don't know where to draw the line sometimes, um, and, and I don't, I don't know exactly where that's going to go. But I just want us to be aware of that and, and to be considering that as we watch as her conflict really, really spins up. Yeah, I suspect you're right. I, I love the opening lines and I love stuff like this because we we can't really read too much into it with certainty you know we, we, right, we can right. extrapolate on what that could mean for sveta but but it's not some kind of key that magically unlocks the whole arc for us and and no. lets us know what's coming maybe in retrospect it, it'll be ironic in some way you know but uh yeah yeah, yeah I, I like that kind of thing because it's fun to think about but it doesn't spoil anything for example yeah uh so i really i really enjoy this uh this bit of uh text here so victoria's tr- quote 
trying to think of how I could diplomatically phrase a response. And then she ends her response with, what the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Victoria, future diplomat of fucking Wiseville. Yeah. Yeah, we get we get at least one of those in this chapter, actually. We do. Yeah. Someone in the the discord talked about that potentially being a three beat um, of Victoria saying fucking why. Mm-hmm. And I, I, yes, I mean, basically, it's a it's a character trait. Like it's it's one of her, her go to phrases. So um, she uses it. There, it's used it in a little different context in this chapter um, and a little bit different phrasing. But uh, I think we've seen it at least three times. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it it fits her because it's like she wants to understand. She wants to understand people's motivations. And she's exasperated because why? Yes. Fucking why? Exactly. So um, what the fuck Sveta is talking about is that she wants (laughs) some clarity in terms of boundaries. She says she doesn't really know where Victoria's are until she's, quote, in contact with them uh, or until Victoria is already in a very bad place. Yeah, I think it's a a very valid concern for someone who admittedly hasn't had a lot of friends and has had this horrible life. Sveta is a lot of what Sveta is experiencing throughout these chapters and throughout this whole book so far is entirely new to her. Right. I mean, she was in a lab for most of her life. Then she got out, was with a group of people very briefly um, before they all betrayed her and broke her heart. And really all she's experienced is weld. And we'll see later that even that is something she's unsure and and scared about. Um, So, you know, a lot of her concerns are very understandable from that perspective. And we already know that Victoria can be tough to read sometimes. And I like I like the the wrinkle in this Victoria is tough to read because we saw last week that Tristan could tell that Victoria was like zoning out and having a tough time. But I think the ability to detect that something's wrong and and the ability to know what it is that's wrong and what is the proper way to react to that wrong thing are two very different things. So while Victoria like isn't as good at hiding that something's wrong as she thinks she is, I think people are still very hard pressed to like, you know, figure out from her what exactly is going on. How can I, how how can I actually help? Yeah. And and we've been saying for a few arcs now that (laughs) that these folks need to talk and this policy of like, don't, don't ask and don't push if you encounter resistance has just resulted in there being all of these unaddressed, unclarified boundaries not yeah. just for Victoria, but kind of for everyone. Um, yeah. And so it, it's really good that they're having this conversation that we see in these chapters where it's like, hey, um, let's just actually talk about all those things, even if they're uncomfortable. Yeah. And that's that's basically what, what Victoria moves to next. Right. Based off of Sveta's mm-hmm. admission. Yeah. So Victoria has been thinking about this too, of course, how to adapt to the boundaries and the secrets within the team. And Chris's recent uh, actions uh, underline how much it can cost for the team to keep secrets. So and Victoria takes ownership for part of that failure because Jessica asked her to watch the team also. Um, and basically they kind of agree, but perhaps the time for secrets is over. Yeah, I really I really loved this whole interaction. I love the callback to those. It's complicated cards, um, things that absolutely served their purpose back at the start of the story, but are probably doing more harm than good these days. Um, You know, it it, like just it's complicated can't be the reason why you're not dealing with your stuff anymore. The reason why you're hiding your stuff anymore. In fact, 
the the reason that it's complicated, like the reason that the, the issue with the person is complicated is like the reason why you should be dealing with it and the reason why you should be sharing it. Like if it's complicated, that that should mean, OK, well, then we need to talk about it instead of the opposite. Um, yeah. And, and of course, it's always better to discuss these things in like a casual setting so that they don't blow up in a combat setting. Yeah. And I think I think what we're seeing here in these two chapters and, and it kind of set up here and then I think paid off in a, a discussion later in in the second chapter is this new focus of this new goalpost of things are going on. We've talked about recovery as this theme of the story over and over again throughout all these episodes so far because well it is but i look at this interaction between sveta and victoria and the one that's going to happen in the next chapter and i see a group that has decided that the secrets and and it's complicated car these things that have helped us survive these coping mechanisms have been working but we need more than that it needs to go beyond that um perhaps it's time to work to get better perhaps it's time to address the problem and 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 the, those those secrets, those complicated cars, this this kind of um, eggshell state which we approach each other to is is impeding that. Or or as Victoria so succinctly puts it here, I want to have the chops and not be so shaky when doing it. So I want to be able to survive, but also to improve my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. But I, so the thing I love about this is I, this is a great conversation and it's so great. And I'm so proud of our characters for coming to this realization. But Victoria does kind of deflect a little bit here because like Sveta starts this whole thing with, um, I don't know where your line is and I'm afraid that I'm constantly crossing your line and you haven't communicated to me like where this is. And Victoria is basically like, yeah, we all need to do that. The whole group (laughs) needs to do that. That's, that's something I've been thinking about with the whole group. (laughs) And, and, and they both discuss this, like agree that that's probably true. Like the, the whole group needs to do that. But she didn't like Sveta's like, I don't know where your line is. And it's like, yeah, we need to share more. OK, good. Good talk. And it was like it's like she avoided actually yeah. sharing more. Yeah, I definitely noticed that when I was writing the the summary of, of, of the discussion, because I was like, it seems like they're going to talk about Victoria's boundaries and then the conversation just takes a sharp turn into talking about like the abstract concept of boundaries. And then it just and, and then it doesn't go beyond that at, at this point in time. Yeah. So, yeah, um, I don't know. I don't think Victoria does that on purpose, but like she clearly doesn't. She, she's very uncomfortable talking about those things. So, she yeah, doesn't. Well, and I think her her nature is kind of to look at things like from a an overarching high level strategy point of view. So she takes this note and says, yes, this is something we can apply to the team because she's in consolidation mode, right? Like she's wanting to bring the team together, back together, uh, you know, seek people out that have these ties to us and strengthen that whole group unit. And she sees this as a way to do it. So she like runs off with this, how this will change our team wide strategy instead of focusing on, you know, Sveta's specific victoria focused uh concern yeah right yeah so they're coming off of two days of rest and recuperation after the fiasco with the parahuman prison our our incarcerated team members are free but only because nobody knows what to do with them and now victoria is diving back into the most cutthroat battle of all (laughs) she's going to see her parents this will make the the fight with long look like a a dragon petting zoo or something (laughs) 
Um, I do I do love that beat about how the incarcerated team members are free, but only because no one knows what to do with it. And that's like kind of the state we're in in these first two chapters and, and possibly throughout the rest of the arc is we're like in a, the the eye of something, not the eye of the storm, but we're like in this, this, this lull after the action. And, and we're just like, no one is sure what's going to happen next. So we're just kind of waiting. And that's the same thing with these guys is they're just kind of waiting until something, something's going to happen. Right. They don't know what's going to happen with the, with their, with their criminal members. They don't know what's going to happen with Amy. Um, and they just have to wait for the next the, the other shoe to drop. Yeah. Yeah. The thing I love about the lead up to this Carol conversation is, is the setup, though. Sveta is here as our eternal optimist. And she gives this line that's like, hey, upside, teeny tiny upside. You get to watch them eat crow. And Victoria's response is just so perfect. I sighed. I shook my head. No, I shook my head. Like, yeah. <laughs> like. Like Sveta's all like, this is going to be so great. You were absolutely right about Amy. You were always right. They're going to see that. They're going to acknowledge it. You're going to get the respect that you deserve. Um, no, no, no. That's not. Yeah, I can, that's not how these people operate. I can imagine this visually so easily. Yeah, there was a part of me that like really wanted to believe that Victoria's like inability to even assume that her mom was going to admit that that her she was right was her being a little harsh on her mom here like there was part of me that was like i really wanted to believe that was true but we just knew better <laughs> we just knew better and and as we walk in the bo- in the into the door as we walk into the restaurant and see her parents i think the book makes it very clear how this is going to go because she looks at her parents they look back at her and neither smiled and in in that one moment as they look up her and, and don't smile we know for sure this is this is going to go bad yeah yeah you know you're in trouble when your parents aren't happy to see you yep. and you're and you're one of their grown children yep yep um so they all go and they sit together at a booth at a, at a nearby um deli i think and sveta and victoria are sitting across from carol and mark and of course the first order of business uh with victoria is victoria's favorite topic amy uh so i just, just want to like step back from it and talk about how how this is all set up uh, before we go into the the back and forth we've had a few instances of victoria and carol butting heads talking past each other and generally not communicating well and to be clear, it's mostly been Victoria not communicating well because she gets extremely emotional and upset, uh, triggered, not to put too fine a point on it, and Carol not communicating well because she sucks at it, uh, and she sucks at listening, and she has a certain view of how things are and how they're going to be. But here in this conversation, we have two extra parties, Mark sitting by Carol and Sveta sitting by Victoria, and these two new interlopers have important perspectives on their counterparts. Sveta can validate Victoria's perspective from an objective viewpoint, having been in the asylum with her. Mark has a better and possibly more objective understanding of Carol and her uh, quirks than maybe anybody else. So it's it's taking this pre-existing thread of conflict and interaction between, between these characters and um, giving us a kind of another angle on it. Yeah, I think that's a really great succinct framing of of how this is and, and how and exactly how everything goes. Um I think I think it also kind of like this idea that they each have backup on their side kind of supports this idea that they both came to this conversation ready for a fight. Um, Uh They're they're mentally prepared for this going bad. Um, Mark's there kind of to serve as Carol translator, but also like Carol, like hold backer (laughs) Um, and 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 Sveta's there to to back up Victoria. Absolutely. Um, 
I, I think I think Victoria shows this with her reaction to Sveta's little joke um, that she was expecting this. Carol shows it by how she starts the conversation, Matt. The first thing she says to her daughter is, you didn't answer your emails. My mom scolded me. She's already on the offensive. It hasn't even started yet. And she's already attacking. She's already uh, pushing pushing Victoria. She's mad. And, and we'll learn a little bit re- more about why exactly she's mad as we go yeah. through it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mark, Mark, on the other hand, is is trying really hard to play that politician. Like all his statements at the opening are things like being as objective as I can. I think this let's think about this. Um, it, it's really it's really wonderful. Yeah. I mean, Victoria's doing a good job at not getting really pissed off toward the beginning. Yeah. Um, yeah. But Carol does not have, seem to have any like breaks at all. No, like not even to slow down. No. Um, so as we get into the conversation, her dad gives us this awesome moment early on. If I can, Sveta jumped in. I know this is a family matter and I'm not family. You're close enough, my dad said. Um, and then he kind of goes on to elaborate on what he means and, and Sveta becomes extremely flustered by it. Oh, it's a wonderful moment. And this wonderful Sveta moment is only overshadowed by the really wonderful Sveta moment we get in the next chapter. Um, but I think it's giving, giving it a to do here is great. Um, I love that the story takes the time to point out just what this means to her, that she's kind of taken aback and like honored by this, this small little thing. Um, and I think that really matters in the context of what she does next, because she goes after Carol pretty hard here. And I think Carol deserves it, especially in this case, but she's just been like invited into this family. Like Sveta is a person who has never had a family or or one that she can remember at least. And she's so honored to be invited into this family. And then she has the, the wherewithal and the guts to, after being invited into this family to go hard at the, the matriarch of it. And I think that kind of demonstrates just how passionate she is about this, just how sure she is and how comfortable she is that Victoria's side in at least this argument is the right one. Yeah. Um, I feel a bit embarrassed. This is only now occurring to me, but like, it's probably a little bit impossible for Sveta specifically to be objective here, actually, because Sveta like, you know, we've talked about how all these breakthrough members have things in common with each other yeah. in, in kind of a complex multidimensional Venn diagram. Well, what Sveta has in, in common with Victoria is someone taking her, messing with her mind, messing with her body and leaving her, her, you know, with, with a, yeah. with a mutated body and mind, yeah. which, which is what Amy did. So, so Sveta and we, and we've seen that Sveta has not, not only not forgiven Cauldron, but probably would get pissed off if you implied that she should. Um, so, so for her, especially it's, it's very difficult for her to conceive of, of Carol's point of view. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. So I think she serves less as, as an independent observer and more just definitely team, team Victoria in this whole argument. Um, yeah. Which I mean, yeah. I think Victoria needs because I think it, it at least, I don't want to get too far into like ragging on Carol. I think she says some really dumb, stupid things in this thing. And I think her, her position, like when you really analyze like where she's coming from, you understand it. It doesn't make it okay. You understand it. Um, but I think, I think Victoria needed backup in this one. Cause some of the shit is just terrible. Yeah. Right. And, and Sveta is basically arguing along the lines that she would argue if, if she could kind of keep her head on straight. Right. So like, for example, Sveta frames the conversation as like, hey, maybe we shouldn't put the unstable, extremely powerful girl in charge of a whole planet. Uh, And then Carol counters that Amy has changed, which 
I don't know if you heard her say this exact thing before, but yeah, this is her position. Amy has changed, and she also insists that there's so much more to this. That, that, that those are Carol's words. Right. And if Amy had a supportive sister, just think how much more stable she would be. Uh, not a good look, Carol. <laughs> yeah. I, I kind of want to wait till we finish the conversation to really dive deep into her. But um, yeah, we're not. I don't. I don't think we're gonna. I don't think our our tact here is. Let's defend Carol. Her actions here are shitty. <laughs> like she never comes I, yeah. out and says, Victoria, this is all your fault. But she gets about as close as you can to saying that without actually saying that. Like I see where she's coming from, but she's just like being willfully blind to several important things. I right. Think. And she's being I think I think that the thing is that Carol is just being a slave to her fear just as much as she's always been. And she's just yeah. allowing it to to control her in a way that she's making dumb, stupid decisions and saying things she'll regret. Like, for example, if Amy took it upon herself to touch villains and alter their the broken reward cycles, if Amy wanted to give them a conscience, if Amy wanted to fix whatever was broken in their physiology that made them aggressive, I'm not about to say no. That's a really dumb thing to say. Yeah, like, I love that Sveta, like, basically calls out that exactly like thing. That's like you said that in front of your your daughter who she did this to. It's insane anyway. I mean, it, right, it's right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Outside of that, outside of the, the Victoria context, yeah. it's a nutso thing to say. Like if it if it were not Amy, but rather like a, a, um, a team of like legally empowered heroes, perhaps. And if the villain were consenting to it. That's not what they're talking about. No. They're talking about Amy doing this. Yeah, we um, we did that to prisoners in the old days, right? And it was y- terrible. Like we like we would lobotomize people. And Yeah, I mean I, it, I guess my stance on this is if somebody comes to you and says, "You have the power to give me a conscience. You have the power to take away my aggression. Could you please do that?" Then I don't see any ethical problem with doing that. But but that's not that's not what yeah yeah i mean it's it's literally framed here if amy took it upon herself um yeah it's it's yeah it's it's a terrible terrible thing to say (laughs) and i just i I was i was thrown i was like are you got to be fucking kidding me that like in context of who you're sitting in front of it's terrible removed Uh from that it's still just as bad yeah 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 um so to be slightly fair to her parents (laughs) they apparently missed the part of the story where amy declared herself the villain queen of Shin. Yeah, that's a it's kind of an important part of the whole thing. Um, and I think how the two parents react to this news is very telling. Um, mm-hmm. Mark is basically just like, oh, we didn't we didn't know that. Uh-huh. <laughs> and Carol's like, doesn't matter. Yeah, no, nothing that you say can matter. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Carol elaborates on her argument that what's important to Amy is to provide a support structure. And I think it's worthwhile to kind of step back again from the back and forth and sketch out the core difference in perspectives because Carol fundamentally wants to give Amy another chance and she wants to do everything possible to make that second chance work out. Kind of like some of our answers to this discussion question. Yeah. So she's saying, you know, a solid support structure, something like forgiveness would be required. And then Victoria counters, why aren't we holding her accountable? Why shouldn't we judge her on the basis of her history? And that's the other side of that dichotomy that that saying it's foolish to just, pretend that she's changed because it's because you want to right yeah i mean and that's like the kind of the fulcrum of the whole idea of the forgive and forget 
conflict that exists in the story, right? Like it, it's it, we have two characters hinging around this idea and in the middle is Amy. Um, the thing that I love about this is from Carol's perspective, I can see how this makes sense in her head. Like the, the one beat that we hear from Carol over and over again throughout this conversation is we failed her. She didn't have a support structure. She didn't have help. We failed her. And and she's saying we and she hints partially Victoria. But I see the guilt in Carol there. I see the the, the implicit. I failed her every time she says we I did this. And I see that ki- same kind of guilt that leads Amy into making shitty choices is is leading her uh, her mother into making some dumb choices as well. And and th- this got me to kind of think about how Victoria or how Carol rather views her two daughters. And I think why she does these things, the things that she does. I think when when Carol looks at Victoria, she sees a person that she did a fine job raising. Like she looks at her and she says, she's a superhero. She's out there helping people. She's powerful. Um, she does good work. Yeah. She had that, uh, whole, um, unfortunate hospital incident, but she's better now. So look, I did it. I did my job. I was a good parent of Victoria. Yay me. Um, and then she looks at Amy and she sees a person that she didn't love and, and, and knows that her lack of love or feels that her lack of love caused all this. It caused Amy to make bad choices. It caused her to do what she did to Victoria. We failed her, Carol says. I failed her. So uh, there are people that have talked about how, like, Carol only has the capacity to love one person at a time. I I don't think that's true. I I think Carol loves Victoria. I just think Carol thinks, like, she did her job when it comes to Victoria. And, like, she's got, like, a task list. Um, Parent Victoria... Just check mark. <laughs> and then yeah. she's got another task. Parent Amy, uh, a big red X. You failed that one. Um, and she's trying as hard as she can to fix it with Amy. And unfortunately, her fear, her feel of fear of failing in that is driving her, you know, too far to the extreme, to the the poles of this whole thing. Uh, she, she 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 feels that she has to love Amy so much that she can't see any kind of badness in her because any kind of badness in her would be not showing her the love that she feels that she has to show her. She, she's like I said, she's just as driven by this fear as she's always been. It's just in a different kind of way. And I think you can see that specifically in how Carol and Mark react to the news about what Amy said that, that when she took over, like the, the way she she immediately goes to excuses for why that's OK or why why it's our fault. Yeah, I feel like um, I feel like she just expects Victoria to be able to handle things. Right. Yeah. Like she just she just simply simply has more respect for her. And and so she's something like annoyed when Victoria can't just like be an adult. Right. It, which, is, which is how she would think of it. Like, come on, get get over it, which is kind of weird since she has her own trauma. But like um, Amy, though, she doesn't respect yeah she she sees amy as being like her her broken prodigal child yeah um in fact that's a that's a reference that i don't think i've made explicitly in my mind but like it's it's the classic like the prodigal the prodigal son is the one who gets the, all of the excess right. second chances and the son who the you know in this case victoria was the good kid she stuck around she did what she was supposed to do she was reliable um she she was exactly what Carol wanted her to be. And 
that's basically being taken for granted. And I think that's kind of what Victoria's feeling here. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and I think that's, I mean, that's the problem with like, I understand Carol's want to help her daughter. I understand Carol's want to make up for what she did to, to course correct, uh, the, the frankly, you know, terrible attitude she had toward Amy, um, understandably a terrible attitude brought on by the severe trauma she was going through. But still, um, she admittedly did not love this child and she, and, and, and that did hurt her in some ways. Um, yeah. but she's, she's in, in this desperation to like, not to, to refuse to see anything bad in Amy, to refuse to see anything bad in there. She's also putting blinders up around Victoria. She's not seeing like, she's so desperate to fix Amy. She can't see where in Victoria there is brokenness. Yeah. And I think this is where it's valuable that Sveta is here because before Sveta can't, or Victoria hasn't been able to stand up for herself and, and be like, look at my, like, look at how much I'm suffering. Right. But Sveta sort of can be. And she, at this moment, tells her to mom the fuck up. Yeah. I love it. Um, which is a great, not only great, like, phrasing and writing, but a great moment. Um, and Carol just, like, seethes and says she's trying, which. I think she is. She's just not great at it. No, she's really bad at it. And and yeah. and it's like she needs to mom the fuck up in many ways. She needs to mom the fuck up and, in Victoria and see that your daughter needs, you know, she, your daughter is suffering. Your daughter is not fine. She's she's in a bad place. And she needs to mom the fuck up in Amy and stop being the type of parent that like assumes that their kid can do no wrong and like charges into the school and, and says, my kid got in trouble. That's impossible. Someone must have done some, something wrong. It can't be that. Um, stop being her best friend. Stop being her cheerleader. Be her mom. Like that's that's what like that's what she needs. Like Carol's talking about support structures and and but but she, like the support structures are just like Amy is Amy is perfect. We love her. Um, I can't confront her about this. I can't tell her she's doing something wrong like i can't see a a a place in which amy is bad because that means that possibly means that i'm not loving her anymore and it was my fault that i didn't love her in the past and and it's this is all my fault it's our fault um she can't like it's it's just a mess it's just an absolute mess i mean and there's probably some validity to the idea that it if if she were to come down hard on amy then amy would just like disappear again um, which I think is something she's really afraid of. Yeah. Uh, and it's basically what's happened. So, but I mean, I don't think that's a reason to, to not parent. <laughs> like, like I yeah. think, you know, th- then that falls on Amy. If, if, if being told the hard truth about your, your past behavior causes you to flee again, then, uh, which it does because it, it did. Um, yeah. and that's on Amy. That's, that's not on, on Carol. That's not yeah. on Victoria. Um, but but Carol is completely unwilling to do that. And I, and I yeah. like you said at the, the very beginning of this whole conversation, this is this is the central kind of argument of of what the story is exploring. And it, it rests here in these two characters. Yeah. So Mark goes ahead and ends the conversation as things become heated. <laughs> I really like we talked about him a little bit. I love his role in this. I, I, Victoria kind of sees it as a betrayal here that he doesn't like specifically defend her. But I think he's kind of in a, a tough spot. Like, I think he's still processing what a lot of this Amy stuff means. And I'm sure he has his own concerns and, and he's going through it. Um, and, and I'm not sure if he's really had time to, to gather like what he thinks about this whole thing, especially since he obviously wasn't aware of the creepy 
extreme villainy things that she has said right before she hopped into that portal to Shen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because, um, you know, Sveta is there to take Victoria's side. I don't think it's accurate to say that, that he is taking Carol's side here. No, he, he, he is, he's more refereeing. Um, right. That's what that's what he's trying to do. Trying yeah. To do, yeah. But but yeah. Victoria sees that. And I think Carol sees that, too, as as by refereeing, you are refusing to be on my side. Ergo, yeah, I'm upset with you. Ergo, I give you the most unimpressed look. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. I love so I, I love the irony as this conversation wraps up, like Mark says, we need to stop this. And Carol says, if we step away without actually communicating, then it's going to be a long time before we talk to her again. She'll get ideas in her head and communicating next time will be that much harder. So Carol is talking to Mark about Victoria in front of Victoria about their inability to communicate. Uh-huh, and how it's Victoria's just, fault. Yeah. And it's it's just it's perfect. It's yeah. so perfect. Yeah. Like. She's not communicating with me. Stop talking about her. <laughs> She's not there. She's right there. Say that to her. Yeah. So as they part ways, everyone is able to be civil, like since the conversation is basically over. Uh, and Victoria leaves thinking irreconcilable differences, really. There wasn't a good way to handle this. I think the the first time I read this, the civilness of how the conversation ended ended really jumped out at me because like Victoria went from this place of like, the things her mom was saying were really hurting her and they were really hurting her um, to just this really casual kind of inquiry around Natalie and, and like a very like normal like conversation where, where neither one is acting like they just had this big tough thing. And when you look about, when you look at that line, that irreconcilable differences line, um, I think that says a lot. I think, I think she's, just about done (laughs) like irreconcilable differences is a term used in in divorce proceedings right it's usually the the reason the most common reason for uh marriage separations um and i think she's able to be civil here because she's done (laughs) she's just like she's just like i i i am i am i am finished with this um she she's she's in in this consolidation mode right like she's reaching out and, and connecting and and reaching back to all the ties that bind her to her teammates and then she calls it the the other team uh, the bonds and promises that and all the things that tied us together um the the family team that she has but i just think that she's like after this conversation is like i don't need that as part of my consolidation anymore like i just yeah. i just don't i'm i'm just done and and i can be civil because it doesn't matter anymore because i i don't i don't care about this relationship anymore ergo there's no reason to be upset there's no reason to leave it upset. Just I'm going to talk to you about business stuff. We're going to be proper. Send this to Natalie and then I'll just go right on with my day. Yeah, it really highlights how much worse things have become between them. Because yeah. In the first chapter, she's able to exchange text messages with her mom and be like, yeah, OK, I'll come over to the house. You know, like, yeah. that's, that sounds nice. Sounds yeah. nice to have a to have an evening with you guys and the family and everything. Yeah. Um. I mean, she's maybe she's not like 100 percent all in on it, but she's going to she's going to do it like that's unimaginable now because she starting with the fact that her mom invited Amy to that thing and then her mom repeatedly doubling down on this notion of like basically siding with Amy. Yeah. It's just made it impossible for her. And and yeah, she it's it's deteriorated to the point where she's using this term irreconcilable differences, which means 
unfixable. Yeah. So we, yeah. we cannot fix this. I love what yeah. she says to her dad. Like, I can't keep putting my hand in the fire and getting burned. Like, yeah. I can't I can't I, this this is this relationship is no longer healthy for me um, and, I, and I can't keep doing it. And I mean, it, it's sad. I, I, I want her to have a healthy relationship with her parents. I think there's strength that you can get from family that you can't get other places. But I mean, she's right. Like, I, I wouldn't want to keep going to a conversation and having a relationship with person who with a person who casually mentions uh, mind control in front of yeah. me, like without any kind of acknowledgement that that is what happened to me and how much it damaged and hurt me. And like, it, I just wh- why would you want that in your life? And and until until Carol shows that she gets that. Yeah. Yeah. So Victoria and Sveta had to meet up with the rest of the team now who are waiting in the cold, uh, holographically disguised. <laughs> Aaron is there too, and the Ashleys are only present via projections. My favorite part of this is Byron, who's just like chilling. Like everyone's yeah. like huddled in the cold, and Byron's just standing there in his like innate cold resistance, just going like, "Yeah, this is nice." Yeah. Um, there were a few people that that were posted. I can't remember if this is in the thread or in our Discord that were talking about. Um, they hope that Byron was going to take a more active role as a member of this team after the events of of the last arc. His presence here, like it being him here ready to hang out and, and shop is, is a hint that I think that that he is indeed like probably feeling more of a member of this team than he has before um, is, is going to take take probably an, a more active role in this thing than he had in the past. Yeah, I think that's meant to be a sign that that, that is the case. Yeah. So Kenzie has apparently made all this tech for everybody, but she still hasn't fixed her own hairpin that hides yeah. her scar because we can see she's kind of hid her scar with her hair. Um so Kinsey's obviously so happy that everybody's here and has apparently been staying up all night tinkering because she's so happy. Uh, so she's doing that again. So Victoria points out that she's hugging everybody and suggests that if she has rules, she should stick to them. Yeah, I love how this is like really it's doled out to us in such a a great but depressing way. Like, I don't want to believe that Kenzie's just as bad if not worse than she was in the past but we keep getting th- these evidence that things are, are are starting to spiral a little bit for her and i mean the, the breaking of her strict rules is a big is a big sign right yeah, yeah. And i don't i don't want to believe it like i don't want to believe that this is happening but like because I, I was so i was so proud of her and i don't think i don't think backsliding you know takes away from the progress you've made it's it's a part of the process right but it's still a, a bummer yeah, I'm not entirely sure if I understand what is going on in her head right now. So it could it could be something where it's part of her growth process and it could be a really bad thing that needs to be addressed by everyone, you know. Yeah. So But yeah, and, and if and if you'll indulge me for a minute here, I want to connect this back to the whole Carol and Amy thing a, a, a bit. Okay. Um you know, Carol's whole argument is that Amy deserves a second chance, that she's changed, that she's better, um, and, and then refuses to acknowledge the, the even the idea that she could be backsliding, won't listen to any arguments, won't hear any evidence that says that she might return to old ways. Um, she refused to do that. Kenzie here has changed. Kenzie also deserves a second chance. Uh, Kenzie has made progress. But but instead of this 100 percent like blind, implicit support of Kenzie, Victoria challenges her here. She sets down, she sits down and says, I don't want to be the bad guy or make you feel like I'm not happy to see you, but your behavior is concerning me. You have these rules. You need to stick to your rules. That's an important thing so far. She is being, and I know she's not Kenzie's parent, but she is being more of a parent to Kenzie than Carol has been to Amy in any of the chapters we've seen. 
Yeah, I mean, Carol doesn't seem to have any kind of realistic model of how people recover from stuff because she's right. basically because she like, ha- she hasn't herself. Yeah, yes, she's just like white knuckled her own trauma for her whole life, right? Without, without any actual healing, you know. Yeah, yeah. That I mean, again, Victoria, not Kenzie's mom, but she just mommed the fuck out of that right there. I love it. Yeah. So uh, Aaron is uh, flirting with Rain, and Rain is being really Rain about it. <laughs> Poor uh, Rain. And then. Uh, Vicky stands for the ship and and thinks inch over half a foot rain. Put your arm around her. I thought warm her up. Vicky stands for the ship. Matt, did you write that? You wrote that down and then you said it out loud. Look, it's important that we keep up with the changes in English language so that people can understand us in the future. This podcast is over. Okay, all right. Um, so <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna keep going. Uh, <laughs> So Victoria steps up to lead the shopping mission. Let's stay out of trouble, she said. I said. We're only one chapter into the shopping mission. And so far, so far they have stayed out of trouble. So that's good. But this feels very ominous. Like, like it feels like so obviously ominous that it could be just subverting us a little bit. I hope so. But yeah. Uh, I'm sure it doesn't mean anything, Scott. See, you've read the next chapter and that's not fair. Um, I'm just going to keep going. So 10 not two, uh, Kenzie gives Victoria and Sveta, they are hollow projectors. Uh, I think it's actually a really good idea to disguise Victoria when the team is out in public, like pragmatically, yeah. because otherwise doxing her whole team would just be a matter of following around the well-known Victoria Dallin and taking pictures of whoever she's hanging out with. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Like Victoria is like outed as a superhero everyone knows her face everyone knows who she is she doesn't really have like she has a a superhero name but like she's free with her identity most of the times and that's just something that's like put on her team right like yeah. it, they didn't have an option in that and it's mostly because that decision was made for victoria ages ago so now she's just kind of chaining forward that that decision making progress on these people so mm-hmm. in in the time between when these two chapters came out, I had convinced myself that the conflict of this next this oncoming chapter was going to happen when someone recognized Victoria from the show. I was like, this is what's going to happen. I can't believe she's just going out there. So I was I was kind of happy to see that, oh, we have this method of disguising that. So not that I don't think conflict's not going to happen. It's going to. It's a book. But at least this intro of the chapter, like calmed my nerves about it happening right here in the chapter I was currently reading, which it does not. So that was good at least. That's, I think that's actually great because it's actually pretty important to sometimes tell the reader in a book in general, like, Hey, you can calm down and pay attention to this part. Right. Right. Um, Nothing's going to explode in in the near future. And, (laughs) And it lets you, it lets you like perceive the story the way, the way it's supposed to be instead of, having heart palpitations the whole time. Um, yeah. And I think there, there have been moments in this book where like, I think you and I were like so paranoid and stressed in some of the earlier chapters that I think we let it, we let it, we let ourselves get away from that a little bit. We were, we were trying to search for the mysteries behind the characters instead of um, paying, like just letting the chapters roll out. Um, and I think that's, if I look at the reason that is, I think it's because the, the care, the mysterious behind the mis. The the mystery behind Jessica's um, one of these people is really bad question um, seemed like it was going to be a, a, a much more quickly solved dilemma. Uh-huh. So we were like trying to 
to parse out who's it going to be instead of it being this kind of long doled out mystery that we have behind all these characters. So when I look back and think back about the conversations we had right around the introduction of this team and, and that I was, I was so like, so stressed. <laughs> yeah. And it, that, that was what a lot of the conversation in like the, the Reddit threads in, in the, um, you know, the chapter Reddit threads was too, because people were right. just really, really wanted to solve that. But yeah, it's maybe something to be, taken at a slower pace yeah yeah so yeah I, so go ahead no i just wonder like if if not if not reading it chapter by chapter um and focusing on a chapter at a time in a lot of detail if if i would have had that same reaction then um but regardless it's set up here well i did not go into this chapter thinking doom was going to happen <laughs> yeah me too so Kenzie mentions that she'll just uh, leave the institution that she's staying at whenever she feels like it and nobody cares. Yeah, I mean, it's not like they don't they completely don't care. Like Victoria is listening to her. She's just trying to, I think, understand and like get to the root of what she's saying. But yeah, I mean, I think this is another hint that Kenzie is 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 in a bad way right now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh Victoria has this thought. I hope that Damsel wouldn't be a bad influence on Swan Song. I want to know your take on this, Matt, because we've talked about in the past how we've seen actually the opposite of this, that we've seen. It, it, it's possible, at least we're, we're guessing, but it seems like Swan Song is having a good influence on Damsel. But, you know, th things aren't this black and white. People aren't on and off switches. Um, and we're seeing with Kenzie here that even though you can make large progress and, 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 and get better, um, backsliding can still happen. So I wonder like, could, could damsel start to wear off in swan song in some negative ways? Could this be the arc of, of the backslide? Interesting. I hope not. Um, I, I think that we've seen, we've seen swan song borderline roll her eyes at damsel's behavior, uh -huh. which kind of suggests to me like, no, she sees this as comical and, and ridiculous now. Right. And like there may be certain things she can learn from Damsel. Like since Damsel has kind of dealt with her issues in a very different way, yeah. she may she may be able to pick up some techniques and it may it may make it so that her approach to certain things is different. But I, I don't think it will be worse. And also we haven't really seen any evidence that Damsel is bad you know like yeah i mean she still hasn't done anything <laughs> bad like right. she's, she's like she she's very much all talk which i think is very true to who damsel always was um mm -hmm. e even back way back when we met her in the in the boston games um but yeah she hasn't executed on that and executed anyone <laughs> right so yeah so far yeah. fingers crossed and I don't want it to happen. So No, no, absolutely not. But no. yeah. All right. So Kinsey sits between uh sorry, she sets sorry, she sets up the two women with their hairpins and is completely <laughs> oblivious to the complete head trip brought on by making Victoria not look like herself because she has body dysphoria and making Sveta look like a not K sixty three, um, for obvious reasons. Yeah. Matt, I, I loved everything about this scene. Um, yeah. I, I loved exactly how it played out. I thought the writing was perfect and how both of these characters experience this profound weirdness and both the positive and negative sides of what is happening to them. Yeah. Yeah. They're they're full of so many 
tumbling emotions and, and also it kind of helps to have Kenzie just completely oblivious and, and babbling on. Yeah, Kenzie's completely oblivious and babbling on and and the the, the Ashleys are like um, probably aware uh, uh, they see the babbling, but they're also probably aware that like Victoria and Sveta are going through some shit and they yeah. like call and pull Kenzie away and like let them have their private time. I just I just love like the 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 construct on this um and kenzie's obliviousness is so wonderful to me because like it's easy to forget with these tinkers sometimes that they're they're still little kids and she might like have this great complicated understanding of of stuff related to her powers but like people is still like a big blind spot for her she just doesn't really get people that well and so it makes yeah. perfect sense that, that she would just be completely unaware of of and hadn't even really thought of the implications of what this technology would do for Victoria and especially Sveta. Yeah. Yeah. That was an early character trait of her is that um, I just haven't noticed as much recently, but just her her being very bad at social skills on, yeah. on top of her need to uh, know what everyone's doing all the time. Um, yeah. 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 Well, I think she's just been like so busy at at doing the tinker stuff that there hasn't been room to for her mm. to be bad at social skills yeah, <laughs> like there's, there hasn't been time yeah, yeah right i agree well there's I, the, the other things I, w- I wanted to touch on here before we move on i mean f- first of all like the, the 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 both the simultaneous like tragic and wonderful um realization around sveta like this is everything she wanted but it's only an illusion it's not perfect like i love like the the smoothing technology doesn't work so it's like it's it's better but it's not quite there and and we'll get into this more when she um gets naked in a bit but um the other thing i really love is this like victoria has this real moment is she's got her dysphoria going on but she's got this real moment where she realizes like this is the first time in her life she's truly gotten to wear a mask Mm -hmm. where she's truly gotten to be a person different from you know the person that she is and escape victoria dallin and escape the expectations and 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 ideas behind you know herself and again this goes back to the, the the decision by her old team the decision by new wave that presumably i don't think we've ever been explicitly told this but presumably was made without Kenzie's or sorry Victoria's consent or or her opinion on anything to to unmask to reveal themselves to the world and, and the burden that put on her um I, I don't I don't think that can be understated yeah and I, it's not something she thinks about a lot in those terms I mean she's clearly she's clearly aware and and has said before that she likes being recognized right but I I, I don't I think that part of that is like when you have something in your life that isn't optimal you make the best of it Right. And, and then that becomes the truth for you. Yeah. And I think that's what she's kind of done with the fact that she's the out superhero while maybe there has been a part of her that wishes she could be incognito. And this is the first time that that's actually been a possibility. So, yeah. And the, yeah. And the book describes it that way perfectly. Right. It says something to the effect of we didn't write it down, but something to the effect of like um, a, a burden was lifted off of me. I didn't even realize I had yeah. um, it, it, it's never even been something she's considered before and suddenly she has this moment of realization and man they run with it yeah yeah it's awesome so yeah they they the others leave the bathroom to let to let victoria and sveta have some time and the two women agree to take full advantage of their new identities yeah yeah and i love this like like i said there's a way you could look at this as as you know being a moment of triggering some of the the worst truths about their situation that like um 
Victoria will never be a person that's not recognized. Like that's just not in the cards for her. Sveta most likely will never have a, a, a human body, and and that that there's tra- there's tragedy to that. But that's not what today is about, right? Today is about consolidation. Today mm-hmm. is about coming together and enjoying each other's companies and finding those strengths and the bonds between each other. So they're just like screw that bad stuff we're gonna run with it we're gonna enjoy this and we're gonna enjoy our day and that's mm-hmm. that's wonderful like you, you sometimes you just need that it's like put that bad shit aside we will deal with that but today let's take comfort in each other and take comfort in this yeah it's the, the ultimate superpower drop sh- shopping trip yeah <laughs> so they start out at a thrift store because face it thrift stores have all the best stuff um i really like and everything about Victoria's authoritative opinions on fashion and style. It's yeah. just very authentic feeling. Um, and basically the way it's conducted, this shopping is like shopping therapy for, for both of them, actually. Yep. Yeah, I, I I love it. I love it so much. I love like we've talked before about Victoria's, um, you know, fashion as identity character trait. Um, and she's truly in her element here. Like like she like Victoria is two things, right? She's a cape nerd. And she's f- fashion nerd. And these are two things that she's just she's just knows she's good at and she's unquestionably good at them. And she knows it and not in like an arrogant way. Like she doesn't like it's not like I'm the best at this, blah, 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 blah. Like here, it's just like I'm good at this. If you need my advice, come ask, ask me. I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you. We're going to we're going we're gonna to dive into these clothes and through the ex- the exploration of these clothes and these styles, we are going to build you an identity as a person. And, and it's something that Sveta has never gotten to do before. Like she, like she mm-hmm. says here that, yeah, I just went out and like, just got some quick clothes. I didn't really have time to think about it. I just got some stuff. Some of it, I was stuff. Well, like some of it was just stuff they had. I've never, I've never gotten to do this before. I've never gotten to construct my identity around fashion like this. And Victoria's like, fuck yeah, that's my jam. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and Victoria is like getting out of her head and and right. being fully present for this, and and Sveta is also kind of like I think enjoying the attention, enjoying the opportunity to to do this thing where she's making choices about her identity and, and maybe getting to feel normal in a way that she doesn't normally. Yeah, and I love how that's represented in kind of Sveta's growing confidence as the trip like continues as they go more places and try on new things and do like and and it's kind of capped off by at the end she picks um the coat that she had wanted in the first place but wasn't comfortable with it um and and put it back to to get to get to do something else yeah she she is she is for probably the first time in her life not defined by you know her her case 53-ness but defined as just a person who's trying to to you know figure out who they are yeah I love it. Um, I, I, I like this quote from Victoria. I'm betting there was something. Maybe you second guessed it or you were looking for something specific and your eye passed over it because it wasn't what you were looking for. Uh, this is me every time I go shopping. Yeah, same. Uh, this is why I bring my wife with me now because I'm like, mm-hmm. I like this shirt. And she's like, OK, get it. And I'm like, well, I don't know. Yeah, yeah I don't know. Mm. Uh, mm. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm, takes way longer I'm really I'm really bad at fashion shopping. I, she, my wife is my Victoria and because and she knows how I operate and helps me here. I've gotten better over time, but it's taken me so many years yeah. being alive. So they go to the changing rooms and Sveta is a mix of disappointed and relieved to find that her new holographic body doesn't extend under her clothes. <laughs> I love the complexity of this moment. Like, yeah, 
like on the one hand, you have Sveta like riding high with this illusion of of normalcy that's kind of shattered the second she looks down at the rest of her body um, and, and it reveals it for what it is, a, a complete illusion. On the other hand, thank God Kenzie is not taking naked pictures of people. Um, yeah, thank God. I mean, she probably is. Yeah, but... I mean, yeah. <laughs> Damn it, you're right. <laughs> Um, uh, and I love it. Like the text describes it as I'm not like Sveta says out loud. I'm not sure there's a word for this kind of disappointment and relief. <laughs> there might be a German one, but there's certainly uh, not in English. Yeah. Right. Um, so this kind of moment of vulnerability segues into Sveta opening up to Victoria about her metal boy problems. Sveta worries that she's effectively Weld's live in sister because there isn't a physical component to their relationship. She feels like she has nothing to give him. Even her cooking doesn't really do anything for him. The thing <laughs> I loved reading and rereading this passage, because the thing is like you, you, when you read it a few times, you kind of see like how absurd Svet is being like not to say like that the feelings that she's having are not normal. They're they're absolutely normal. And I think everyone that's ever been in a relationship has had the, these insecurities about I'm not pulling my weight. I'm not living up to my expectations and, and I'm making him unhappy or her unhappy because of this. Um, but Sveta, like, stop putting all this on yourself, like, like making it your fault. Weld can't taste stuff very well and I can't find food he likes. Weld can't feel very well and therefore we have very bad physical intimacy and it's my fault because I'm failing to do it. He's a giant metal man yeah. <laughs> like the reason like the reason why he, these things is because he has his own issues and things going on like like she she as she's going through this thing she paints this like picture of weld as this just like normal everyday average man that's just like just completely normal in every way and and like he's expecting normalcy in his relationship it's like no he's a he's a case 53 too he's made of metal yeah it's not like if she were a baseline human that she would be any better at at addressing these issues that he has. Right, right. And she's just, like, I'm just Sveta, child. Like, you're being too hard on yourself here. Like, I understand it's frustrating. I understand feeling the insecurity. I, I think it's completely valid to feel that way at times. But he's going through some shit, too. Like, like you can't assume that that because you have these inse- these completely understandable insecurities related to yourself that it's all your fault. Right. It's not. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so Victoria says that maybe, though, what she can give him is a shoulder to cry on, someone to be vulnerable with, because men don't uh, usually have that by default. Yeah. Overgeneralizing there, Victoria. But I, I, I do I do love her advice, though. I love when she says it's not about equality. It's about balance. It's not about, you know, tit for tat. It's not about I did this. So you did this. It's finding a way to get to a point where, where both people feel like things are balanced. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, at the end of the day, what these two people need to do is talk to each other, communicate about these things. Like if you're feeling insecure, if you're feeling that you're not upholding your portion of the relationship, your your part of the balance, um, Tell the other person that say, I feel like I'm not I'm not living up to my responsibilities. And and then as part of being in a relationship, if they say, no, I don't agree. Trust that they're telling you the truth. Like that's that's the hard thing about trust is that you, you have to you have to trust that if they say no, everything's fine. Like you are you are like, I, I love you. I love this. Things are going good. Um, 
you gotta you gotta choose to believe him <laughs> yeah i mean it, it is kind of a sign of her insecurity by itself that she is having these conversations with victoria and probably tristan too um and probably not with weld i mean he's been yeah. gone but but right, i, I, I right. kind of feel like she's just so she kind of hero worships on to- him on top of all that which yeah is a wrinkle that i've i don't think i've ever had to deal with in a relationship in a relationship no one's ever worshipped you as a hero man no bummer no not yet um, <laughs> but uh yeah so so this conversation eventually kind of peters out though and it's interesting because they've had a couple conversations that like took a sharp turn um yeah yeah and and, and this one it turns into talking about what they're kind of thinking of or what Victoria is thinking of as the elephant in the room powers and specifically the agents or the, you know, what we call the shards. Yeah. And I like, so, so Sveta gets this great line, great paragraph, really. We chase these bright lights that our powers give us, but in reality, Scion was just the glowy ball on the forehead of an angler fish, so much bigger and more vicious than he appeared to be. And he was strong before the problems we're dealing with are the same. Two people stuck in one body, one person stuck in a monstrous body, a bunch of powers being shared around and tossed together. They aren't small or insignificant, really, but they're nothing compared to the massive, powerful engines that are behind them. They're decoys, the pinky toes of giants. Um, and then they also bring up Kefri as an example of a cape whose shard clearly malfunctioned, um, which makes Victoria think of Amy, But and it does bring up the bad feelings, but they don't take root, she says. They... She, she's able to move past that moment. Yeah, like she's because she's in a good place right now. She's she's with a person she cares about. Maybe. Well, she doesn't have the mask on at this point, because I, I do like the the detail of this entire conversation. The first thing Sveta says is, can you take off your illusion? Because I want to talk to your face and mm-hmm. see you when I talk to you about this kind of stuff. But. Yeah. Yeah, I like that, too. So Victoria is pushing towards something, though. There's this half articulated idea and she doesn't think they'll be able to make this second chance on Gimmel work if the shards aren't addressed somehow. Yeah, and I think this is the connecting thing to what we were talking about in the first chapter is this idea, this this fundamental shift in in the goalposts of this story. Like if if powers are trauma, then dealing with the the agent, dealing with the shard, dealing with the passenger, like in, in is is saying we need to deal with the root of our trauma and 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 so you can look at everything they've they've done before as just you know survival mechanisms they they're trying to 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 live with this trauma um but turning towards the big mama the big you know inciting incident this is this is our trauma personified um it is kind of a decision to refocus and 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 move towards real you know long lasting recovery right i mean as we've been saying forever um, the the metaphor of the powers is is that they are the manifestation of the trauma. So via the metaphor, if you're really serious about fixing the trauma, then in some sense you're talking about fixing the powers. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or at least or at least find or at least dealing with them. Like yeah. just just like the it's complicated cards, just like the secrets, um, the, the the agents, the powers have been this like unspoken. Um, I think they describe it as an elephant in the room. And I love the, 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 the light on the forehead of an angler fish. I love that, that yeah. image. It's great. But, um, we have kind of been like, 
just not dealing with that, just like going through the day to day to survive. And I, and that's why I love this, this spectacle you read so much is like the things that we're dealing with are not small and insignificant. Like the, 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 the ability to survive, to cope with the terrible shit that's going on is not small or insignificant. It's big and it's hard, but it's nothing compared to the work of getting to the root of these traumas and, and finding a way to push through them. Like, mm-hmm. and, and, and that's like, that's like the story, you know, a pivot that we've been kind of talking about and seeing th- from the first chapter, we're kind of seeing our characters make both um, literal and metaphorical shifts into, into being ready to do that kind of work. Yeah. Yeah. I like the notion of connecting a trauma with like a continent sized alien evil force. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's big. It's, it's impossibly big. You don't even know how to, it's, it's so big. You can't even comprehend it. Like it, it's, it's perfect. I love yeah, it. Yeah. So they meet back up with the Ashleys and Victoria and Ashley have what passes for banter within their bizarre friendship. <laughs> um, so Victoria like doesn't make any comments really on, on her, on her clothes. And, and Ashley says no condemnations, no calls for more color. Nah, I said, I know what you're capable of. That I could take your head clean off your shoulders if I needed. More like I know you can live up to a style this severe. Um, so. <laughs> Which is like a super compliment from Victoria. It's like, yeah. it's like, nah, that's you and you can pull it off. They're like style buddies. I love yeah. it. I love yeah. like, I, I don't know like girls fashion. I said this on Twitter. I don't know girls fashion. I don't, I don't know it. I'm not a girl. I don't, I don't wear these kind of clothes. I don't spend a lot of time examining it, but I love, I love what Ashley wears. I love how it's described. And I think, I think the reason is because I think Victoria likes it too. Like it's not her, but she likes it. She likes, and and she respects Ashley's ability to put an outfit together. So the way she describes it is always like super, like this is badass. This is a great look. Like she pulls it off. It, I, I love it. You know, I, I, uh, I was going to say, yeah, I don't either, but that's not true because I have to dress two girls. Um, yeah, there you go. Pick out their outfits. So um, I haven't had to worry about this. Uh, the, the, the key is leggings, just leggings. I that, that's I can tell you the same. Same with my wife. Uh-huh. <laughs> so yeah. many leggings. I, so you know how expensive Lululemon leggings are, Matt? Holy shit. Well, if if the like one square foot of cloth required to make kid leggings and the correlation with their price extrapolates to Lulu leggings for adults, then I can't imagine. It's a lot. So Ashley mentions that Kenzie is almost as bad as when they first met. She says better in some ways, but in others. Yeah. So what do you, what is your interpretation of that? Well, I'm uh, by default. I specifically thought it was referring to the fact that she's not sleeping and I don't know what else though, because that's the thing. I I don't feel like I have a read on what's going on with Kenzie right now. Mm hmm. But the the thing I like about it um, is I think it, it shows the, the, you know, how dynamic the characters are, because like characters are not like they don't have on off switch, right? There, there's not a there's not a recovery switch like, it, yes, this person's not real, but, the, but they're a well-drawn, well-crafted character. So. You don't just recover all at once. You don't just say, "Okay, I've had my breakthrough and now I'm all better. It's like some things get better. Like you have a breakthrough in one portion and you've you've come to realize one thing about yourself and you've been able to take that thing you've learned and improve your behavior in this one aspect of your personality. But people 
are complicated. And just because you've made improvements in one side of you doesn't mean you've made improvements in other sides of you and doesn't mean that that, that you can't still be bad stuff going on. And I think that's something that I will admit that I've um, failed to take into account when talking about some of the other characters in this story. Like Rain had his breakthrough. Rain's doing great. Well, we see in this chapter that no, he's not. Like mm-hmm. he's he's actually has a really rough time in this in the, the small tiny bit we see him in this chapter. Yeah, he's he knows who who he is. He's more confident. Um, he's not better. Uh, Ashley's not better. Um, they've just made progress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. They I think they they suffer a lot less. But like, I, you have to wonder if if Rain, you know, th- anticipated having this much trouble at the at the mall. You know, he probably did. But, um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's funny because he, he's so laid back, it's easy to forget about him. Um, but, but yeah, like it's fully expected that he would be having a hard time at the, um, at the, um, food at, at the mall. So, yeah. um, yeah. So now after having done their shopping, they all meet up in the food court near a big pile of anti-parahuman banners and signs. I, I love this backdrop for this conversation. Like nothing bad has happened here yet, but we've got our team of capes. Everyone's a little shaken. Everyone is struggling to figure out what happens next. They're 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 coming together. What's going to happen? What's next? What's going on? Victoria's got a new mission. She hasn't really shared it with anyone but Sveta yet. And in the midst of all this, in the background is hate speech and representative of the the, the feeling towards them in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's interesting that like the details of what these bad things say is never actually described to us, right? We don't, there's never a moment where it's like this sign says this and, and, and this thing says this, like it's held back from us. Um, it's almost as if like Victoria doesn't want to bring herself to actually acknowledge it. Right. Like, it's like, I, I don't want to read them. It's just like, there's bad signs. You know, they're bad. Yeah. We get specific confirmation by Byron going to, to Spanish to describe the horror of what he's seeing. Um, but it's that it's just it's just there it's just in front of us and we don't we don't delve into the detail of it right yeah it lets you assume the worst right right because right. if we didn't because it could just be like we want laws no 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 it's like it's like no it's probably not that it's probably like it's probably god hates capes yeah something like that exactly uh so now the chapter as the chapter wraps up when kinsey is out of in shot your shot they bring up Chris and Ashley seems concerned about what's going to be done about the situation. And then there are a few moments in some back and forth where it's clear that everybody shares the same understanding. Uh, everybody except Ashley, that is shares the same understanding that Chris went with Amy because it could help with his physical issues. That's why he did it. Uh, but Swan Song wraps up the chapter telling us, no, that's not why he did it. Amy was deferring to Chris. Chris was the one in charge. Yeah, and that's that's a fun little revelation there at the end of the chapter and at the end of our reading of the week. Um, I said this in, in Twitter, and I'll repeat myself. Sorry for those that follow us in both places. Um, I do I do remember reading the line of, is that okay, where, where she turns to Chris and says that, and he nods. And I remember that jumping out at me. It was like, well, I mean, what does that mean? And I think I think my internal explanation was, she's just not used to giving big speeches, and she was looking for a little support um, how she delivered the big speech and he was there yeah. to offer that kind of support. And that's how I kind of internally rationalized it. So we really didn't bring it up in our conversation. I, I didn't know what to do with it. And I kind of rational rationalized 
I, I just I, I pushed it away and yeah. I, I, I think I had the I same mean, reaction. So this is um, this is a pretty big shift here. The, the mystery that is Chris continues to get juicier. Yes. With each passing uh, chapter. It's just always so delightful. I'm so excited about the Chris situation. Yeah. So is this something that like we just we just take at face value that like Ashley is really good at recognizing power dynamics between people. We've had this pretty pretty uh, like concretely confirmed. Um, um I think so. <laughs> I, I feel like this is one of those moments where this is being revealed to us, like the placement at the end of the chapter. Yeah. And 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 the fact that it's Ashley saying it and she's the one who like she pays attention to these things. She, yeah, she 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 was if anybody was going to notice it, it was going to be her. I think you're right. I, th- I think you're absolutely right. Um, And, and yeah, I mean, there, there are some things that I think in, in this book is is you read it and you're made to doubt the legitimacy of it. And there's some things that you're just not. And this yeah. is this feels like that the latter. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's 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 a pretty big fundamental shift in how we thought things were going on um i think it makes more sense for amy as a character i never really like completely bought her as i'm gonna take control and be in power like i think victoria completely accepted it and maybe maybe the reason why we didn't really chase down that rabbit hole of why did she say that to him was because victoria was so utterly convinced that it was amy taking over because yeah that was inevitable. She knew that was going to happen. She was predicting that from the beginning. So, um, I think that, I think it works in that, that way. And I, and I, and I kind of like it even more now with, with yeah. that in mind. Yeah, I, I agree because like the Amy we know from worm would never have done that, but, right. but we, we've been convinced by Victoria that maybe she would, but it's yeah. like, no, 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 I don't, I don't see her that way. Yeah. So, so what the hell is Chris planning, Matt? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> this is crazy. Well, I'm sure everyone has theories. Yeah. Um, all right. That was two awesome opening chapters to so great. Arc 10. Um, so we've been promising everyone that we're going to do name game for Byron and Tristan for, for like a long time, several yeah. months. So we're going to try to do that here and hopefully not do that thing where we miss like the main thing that was important <laughs> and and like the key that unlocks the whole the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So Byron literally means cowshed. Um but that probably wasn't why his parents named him that. It, 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 it may have been a reference to Lord Byron, a British romantic author. And he was the guy who wrote Don Juan, which is a story about a guy who has a lot of sex. I think maybe other things happen. Um, Byron. <laughs> I think maybe other things happen. Lord Byron had many love affairs and was regarded by the, the social sphere as mad, bad and dangerous to know. And he led a life of gallivanting adventure, traveling and fighting and all kinds of stuff. Uh, kind of extra trivia, he was the father of Ada Lovelace, who is regarded as the first computer programmer. So that doesn't sound like our Byron at all, Matt. No, not really. Yeah, I was I was digging for some kind of thing that would, that would connect to our Byron more yeah. clearly. Um, mm-hmm. And I did not find anything. I'm not saying that there... That, I may be missing something. I, there may be some other uh, literary work of his that that connects better to um, to Byron's character. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think we're going to get into something you discovered at the very end that I I like more than just the Lord Byron connection. But yeah. let's move on to Tristan. All right, Tristan literally means tumult or outcry, <laughs> and Tristan was a knight of the Round Table. Uh, Tristan and Isolde 
um, or Isul, there's all kinds of pronunciations of these things because they're yeah. so old. They, they, the legend is of Tristan and Isold, and, and they, they drink a love potion, which makes them fall madly in love with each other, which is a form of mind control, mm-hmm. which I wasn't, I thought was interesting to see. It um, is. But Isold marries Tristan's uncle, and then the love po- potion compels the two of them to be adulterous. Um, so basically, this was a way for Arthurian age folks to be able to write about adultery without making the characters seem like villains because they're compelled to be adulterous. Just kind of a clever literary workaround. Yeah, that is clever. Yeah. As, as with most Arthurian legends, there are like 15 different versions of this story um, with different details. So you, you you can dig around and I'm sure you could find some other parallels to our character. Um, many of these end with Tristan being killed either by his uncle or, or in the course of saving somebody else. Uh, that's kind of all I have to say about the two names individually. Um, so get to the thing that so I, I loved. I loved I, this. So I think I'm reaching, honestly, I think this is reaching, but buy and, and try could be references to two and three, which could imply like a missing older sibling who would be like the Uno sibling. Um, assuming that there's some reference to birth order, but I don't know. I yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the 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 part that I think you're reaching on is the a missing older sibling, the missing older sibling part. But I mean, I, I think the buy and try part feels very intentional. And, and what that's going to say about the missing piece of this whole equation uh, is very fascinating to me. Yeah, like I agree. I feel like there's something there, but I don't feel like my interpretation is is correct. Mm-hmm. So, um, All right. I don't feel like I don't feel like I I found the nugget of gold at the heart of yeah, the I mean, there's Tristan. Yeah. There's not there's not like one thing that we said, aha, this is it. Yeah. Um but I mean it's it's all to keep in mind. Like we're not done with these characters yet, so it, it might not have just revealed itself to us. Yeah. Well, and it could just literally be like no no more complicated than uh whichever one of their parents or, or both perhaps have a thing for like literature and so they would be familiar with the legend of Tristan and Isolde. They'd be familiar with Lord Byron. Um, they're, they're romantics, and and these are the names of two figures that are associated with 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 romantic. Um, you know, it doesn't have to like like within the story. It makes perfect sense that you have two brothers with these names, right? Yeah. Like like yeah like yeah. Okay. Good or they help. just wanted to name their kid after a cowshed. Yeah, or cowshed and and yelling kid. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe one of them poop, pooped their diaper like immediately yeah. when they were born and the other one was crying and then they were like, well, you're, in. you're a poo kid and you're a crying kid. <laughs> you're a poo kid. Uh, that explains Byron's problems so much. Yeah. His parents exactly. just called him poo kid. I think that that that's the key. Yeah. All right. So discussion question this week, what is your favorite heartwarming parahumans moment? Yeah, I, I, this is I think this is a good, like much more kind of casual question that we've had the last few. Uh, this is the thing where we're starting out a new arc and we don't have a clear direction of where this thing's going yet. So um, just a fun, a fun little just talk to us about the stuff that you love in this book that makes your heart feel all good. Yeah. And this this came to me because I was realizing actually due to a couple of the other like shows we've done um, in the last couple of weeks, like um, I have realized that I, that it kind of grates on me when stories are just like the same tonally all the way through, just like monotone. Right. And, um, parahumans is really good about giving you these moments of heartwarming, 
and and weaving in the tension and, and the drama and the excitement with um a good amount of like oh so yeah yes those moments yeah and that's all we got for you this week on we've got ward you guys are all part of this show so feel free to provide us with advice questions or thoughts on this week's reading you can reach us via email at gotwormpod at gmail.com or over on Twitter at gotwormpod. Um, I heard that they might be removing the like button from Twitter to improve discourse because that's <laughs> the problem with Twitter is yeah. the like button. That's what I'm always thinking. Yeah. So yeah. my personal Twitter is at scottdaily85 and Matt's is uh, at the missing third brother Unominadale. <laughs> that's right. And if you're not already subscribed to We've Got Ward, we strongly recommend you do so and never miss an episode. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else in the world you can listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find this and all the other podcasts we do over at doofmedia.com. We've got new episodes of Vout View this week. We've got a new episode of the Doofcast. I think we're going to do um, finishing the Matrix trilogy of our Wachowski marathon. I think that's what we decided on on the doofcast um we also had the book club last weekend so the audio file for our dune book club is now out if you subscribe to that podcast you can get that in your feed or you can watch the audio recording on youtube that was a it was a great talk i loved talking dune um if you haven't checked that out yet do so yeah me too that's that's one of my formative books so please check that podcast out and if you like any of our shows and you want to support them, consider donating to our Patreon account, patreon.com slash doofmedia. You can donate a dollar a month or whatever else you can afford. Supporting us on Patreon gives you tons of great bonuses like voting in our quarterly fan art contest and costume contest, uh, Q&A sessions, access to live streams of our recording sessions, and our excellent Discord chat. Special thanks to new Bidoof Alejandro One at the $1 level. Thanks so much. He's the, uh, the Alejandro Uno. So there would be like ah. by by Hondro oh, by the child. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and as always, make sure you go over to Wildbo's Patreon, no matter what number you are, patreon.com slash Wildbo and donate to him as well. This is his world. We're just playing in it. And if you can't afford to donate right now, that is absolutely OK. There are tons of ways you can still help this podcast out. You can share it with literally everyone, you know. And you can head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and a review. This week's spotlight review comes from who gives us five stars and says, I read all 7,000 pages of Worm. I didn't know when you laid it all out like that. It was 7,000. Oh Jesus. Um, a little over a year ago and around two months of burning my eyes late at night while I clicked next chapter over and over again. Needless to say, I really enjoyed it. After waiting a few months before catching up on the sequel, Ward, I heard about this podcast analyzing the original as well as the sequel. I postponed listening to it until my evening run and runs became so boring that I had to get something to, to listen to. Just as I regretted waiting so long to start Ward, I regret waiting on this podcast. I caught up around the same time it took me to read Worm originally, and that's saying something as this podcast could be as, as engrossing to listen to as Worm was to read. Holy shit, that's a compliment. Yeah. Um, these guys do an amazing job analyzing, critiquing, and appraising Weeble Bobble's masterpieces. The amount of information and quality surpasses most college English classes. Seriously, you guys should do a course on Worm. And in 30 years, when Worm is required reading for high school students, this podcast will be required listening on side, alongside chirophagus and then they say p.s it's pronounced xythus 
and they just spell it the and they just re- they just re- respelled it <laughs> That's, which is excellent um so Zythus, i guess if you're listening to this right now that means you're like running right like you're you're like as you're listening to this you are you are jogging so stop why why are you doing it are you tired are you here here i'll, I'll run alongside How you doing? <laughs> Zyphus, can we take can we take a break? I'm really I'm really tired. Oh my god. It's been like five miles, Zyphus. Can we stop now? Alright. Alright. That's all for this week. <laughs> we'll continue polarize next week. And don't forget to uh to send in those costume contest pictures. Uh check the website for the rules and stuff and, and just check the show notes here. Send those in. You got one day. Go. 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 